Well, our scripture reading today is from Luke 6, verses 12 through 26. Uh, this is found on page 862 in your pew Bible. I welcome you to, to open your Bible to that page with me now. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take that one home as a gift from us. So let's hear the word of the Lord. Luke 6, starting in verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor." And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning again. Welcome to Christ Community. My name is Bill Gorman. I'm one of the pastors here. It's so good to see each one of you. And as we open this uh, passage of scripture, as we continue in our series, Rediscovering Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, I just want to pray to begin and ask for God's help as we study his word this morning. Well, Father, you've told us in the book of Romans that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So this morning, may we listen to the instruction of your son and in him find hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, think about the first day of a new job, or maybe your, your first day in a new role at your job, or your first day at a new school, uh, or maybe even the first time you visited a new church. And maybe for some of you this morning, you don't have to imagine that. Maybe that's happening for you right now. Uh, this is your first time at Christ Community. You're living that experience. But in all of those situations, when you're beginning something new, you're stepping into a new place with new people that you don't know, what is it that you long for? Uh, what do you need not just to, to survive there, but to really to thrive? What do you need emotionally, mentally to not only just kind of enjoy life, but to live it to the full? Well, a pastoral leader and author, Mark Demaz, uh, frames out seven basic things that every human soul needs. 
Seven basic things that, that all of us need. And actually, this list was so good that, and, and, and insightful and convicting that as a, a pastor, a boss, a friend, a parent, I, I said, I want to remember this. So I actually set up a, a reminder on my computer just to review this list once a month. But, he, but here are the seven things. He says, one, to be wanted. The earnest longing of another who finds joy in your presence uh, to be needed, the, the understanding of another who sees you as essential to a whole, to be appreciated, the recognition of another who affirms your purpose, to be considered the thoughtfulness of another concerned for your well-being, to be included, the desire of another to have you with them, to be encouraged, the inspiration of another that challenges you to more, uh, to be respected, the sincere admiration of another who values your contributions. And maybe you're, some of you are trying to scribble those down in your notebook, which is, which is great. But also just as a reminder, whenever we have quotes and lists like that, you can always find those on um, the Bible app. Uh, if you just download that from the App Store, uh, you can go to a link or you can just search in the event section for Christ Community. And all of the sermon kind of notes, headings, quotes, those kinds of things are there. So if there's ever a quote that you're looking for, uh, ever a list, and you're like, oh, I didn't get to write it all down, you can always look it up uh, there later for uh, any sermon, any week um, at Christ Community. These are things that every human needs. And, and notice that two of them, at least, are explicitly connected to belonging. Two of them are connected explicitly to belonging. Every soul wants to be, longs to be wanted and included Wanted and included. And whether we admit it or not, whether we're even conscious of it or not, whether we are in middle school or we're middle-aged, every single one of us, we ask every day, am I wanted? Who wants me? Where do I belong? Who are my people and how is it like us to act? And what we rediscover about Jesus in this passage this morning is that he came to create a community where every human could find that kind of belonging. He came to create a community where every human being could find that kind of, kind of belonging, could have that, those needs of being wanted and needed, appreciated, considered, included, encouraged, and respected met. And in Luke chapter 6, which we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks together, is sort of Jesus' foundational blueprint, his vision, his charter for this new community. And what we're going to discover this morning as we specifically look at verses 12 through 26, and you can go ahead and turn there if you haven't already, it's on page 862 in the Pew Bible, is this, that Jesus' community is not what you would expect, and yet exactly what you'd long for. Jesus' community is not what we would expect, but it's exactly the kind of community that we long for. And we see this very first thing in verses 12 through 17. Jesus didn't come to just convene a, a crowd, though that happens, people crowd around him. No, Jesus came to create a community. He didn't just come to convene a crowd, he came to create a community. And Jesus is building a community, and it's not what anyone expected it would be. Jesus is building a community that is beyond the expectations of the people of his time. So again, look at verses 12 through 14, and notice Jesus' pattern and habit of prayer here, specifically. Because, uh, again, we're, as we especially study the Gospels, we're not wanting just to learn from Jesus' words that he teaches, but also to observe how he lives his life. Both are given to us as ways of instruction, the words he taught as well as the way he lived. So just notice that in verse 12. In these days, he, Jesus, went out 
to a mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. This is actually the only place in the New Testament where all night prayer is mentioned. Jesus prays all night long. And, and, and the reason why we see in verse 13, because there's a significant moment that's about to happen. And verse 13, when day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them whom he named apostles. And, and then Luke goes on to, to list those 12 apostles. And apostles just means sent ones. Uh, and in the New Testament, it carries the sort of sense, the idea of, of special messengers from God. These 12 are going to serve a unique role in what Jesus is doing. These foundational members of this new community. And Jesus' community, again, it's not what anyone would have expected. And, and let me show you what I mean by that. Just here in this group of the 12, there are two people listed that should not be together. The first is, is called Simon the Zealot, and the second is Levi the tax collector. We met Levi a couple weeks ago when Jesus called him. Now, the Zealots were an organization of sort of ultra-political, ultra-patriotic Jews who were actively seeking to overthrow Rome by force. So that's, that's Simon. He's in that group. We're going to try to take Rome down. And then you have Levi, later called Matthew, who is working as a tax collector. So he is working for the Roman government, trying to collect taxes from the Jewish people that will continue to perpetuate the Roman establishment. <laughs> These people have utterly opposite aims of their lives. And we'd be like, imagine during World War II where France was occupied by the Nazis and had set up a, a, a government and there was lots of sort of collaborators of the French government with the Nazis. It would be like having someone part of that, that French Vichy government starting and planting church with someone who is part of the French resistance. That's, that's the picture. And Jesus does it. He calls both of them together. And how he does it, and how Luke records this moment for us, is filled with echoes and allusions all the way back to God's rescuing work in the Old Testament. See, the Bible is so brilliantly woven together and connected this whole moment reflects back to God's saving act in the Old Testament, which is him bringing his people out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt, through the Red Sea, to Mount Sinai under Moses' leadership. And you just see the patterning, right? There's so many parallels between this moment and this part of Luke all the way back to that moment in Exodus. And Luke is careful. He's doing this on purpose. He wants us to see Jesus as the true and better Moses. So Jesus, at the beginning of this passage, right, he goes up on a mountain and he prays. Back in Exodus, Moses went up on a mountain to meet God. At the end of this, Jesus calls his 12 apostles, his sent ones. Moses calls together the 12 tribes of Israel. Then Jesus comes down from the mountain and begins to give teaching about how this new community that he is founding is to live. What happens? Moses, right, he comes down from the mountain carrying the, this teaching from God, the Torah, the law, the law, the core of which are the Ten Commandments, about how the people of Israel are to live. Do you see that patterning? Luke is doing this on purpose. I mean, isn't, isn't this book, isn't the Bible? It's amazing. The biblical authors, the way, the literary sophistication of this book it's all one story, beautifully crafted to point to Jesus. And Jesus' community is the fulfillment of what Israel was always meant to be. 
And it's shocking because in Jesus' community, things are turned upside down and inside out. People from Tyre and Sidon are there. Now, that might not mean a lot to us, but Tyre and Sidon, Luke specifically mentions them. Those are Gentile areas. That's not part of Israel at this point in time. These are people who are getting access to Jesus' power, his teaching, his healing, who are not part of the tribes of Israel. People from all backgrounds and places are coming and finding healing and wholeness teaching, learning the easy way of the yoke of Jesus. And this is what the local church should be. The local church, we ought to be a place where where people find healing and wholeness, where they encounter Jesus' teaching and way of life. But don't be surprised if you're surprised by who you find in Jesus' community. Uh, your Simon the Zealot or your Levi the tax collector may very well be sitting next to you in the pew this morning. And it should be that way. Because what we're going to see in verses 20 through 26 is that in Jesus' community, the out are in and the in are out. The out are in and the in are out. And the first we see that the out are in. And this whole next section of Luke chapter 6, it's a really long chapter, verses 20 through 49, they're going to be a summary of this kind of foundational blueprint for this new community that Jesus is establishing. Uh, In the Gospel of Matthew, it's often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Here in the Gospel of Luke, sometimes people refer to it as the Sermon on the Plain because it says they went down to a, a level place. Now, of course, in Matthew and Luke as well, these accounts are are slightly different because Matthew and Luke are writing to different audiences. They're trying to accomplish different things. Also, this teaching that Jesus gives here and also is recorded for us in Matthew is also most likely something like sort of a politician's stump speech. This is a teaching that Jesus gave many, many times throughout his three years as an itinerant rabbi. But both in Matthew and Luke, Jesus begins by telling us who is going to be most at home, who will be most attracted, who is most likely to enter the community that he is building. And you know what? It's the exact opposite of what anyone would have thought. Because the out are in and the in are out. Look at verses 20 through 22. But before I read them, so you know, kind of find them, look at those verses. Before I read them, we need to pause here and just clear out some debris around this word Hashtag blessed. A few years ago, Jessica Bennett, who's a, a writer and author at the New York Times, she wrote a piece called, uh, that I think just captures the, the thoughts of so many uh, really well. She's called They Feel Blessed. And she starts out by kind of writing, you know, she's not a, a Christian, I don't think, but she starts out by writing, you know, God's kind of invaded my social media feed lately. And she says this, she says, God has in fact recently blessed my network with dazzling job promotions, coveted speaking gigs, the most wonderful fiancés ever, the front row seats at Fashion Week, and nominations for many a 30 under 30 list. She says, blessed has reached such heights of overuse that tracking it has become a virtual sport. It's almost as if the internet now exists simply to voyeuristically hate read all the ways everyone else in the world has been blessed, says Daniel Thompson a writer for the New Yorker. It's literally no other word that can simultaneously inspire such animosity and rapture. Now, those of you who aren't on social media, maybe you're just like, I don't know what you all are talking about here. But if you are on Instagram, Twitter, you, you know, you see this, right? Well, Jesus is about to give us a very different framework for what it means to be blessed. A very different framework. 
But what does that word even exactly mean, right? It's so caked with cultural and religious mud that we can't even see what it means. It's a Greek word. The word is makarios, and it simply means happy, glad, prosperous, well, safe. Okay, so with that in mind, let me read verses 20 through 22 again, but I'm going to replace the word blessed with those words. So verse 20, And Jesus lifted up his eyes and his disciples, and he said, Happy, glad, prosperous, safe are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Happy, glad, prosperous, safe are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Happy, glad, prosperous, well, safe are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Happy, glad, prosperous, well, safe are you when people hate you. And when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward in heaven is great. For so their fathers did to the prophets. I mean, that sounds like the exact opposite of those who were in Jessica Bennett's uh, social media feed, right? Happy, glad, prosperous, safe. The poor, the hungry, the grieving, the persecuted. And this is surprising enough for us, but for Jesus' original hearers who were deeply steeped in the framework that strictly interpreted material prosperity as a sign of God's favor and material and social sort of deprivation as a sign of God's displeasure. This was stunning. Uh, Even angering, depending on who you were. A little more on that in the next point. But this theme of reversal of sort of this upside-down nature of the kingdom, of the in being out, the out being in. This is one that Luke is highlighting from the very beginning and is going to continue to highlight all the way through his gospel. Um, And and we see it all the way back in Luke chapter 1 in Mary's song, which we looked at during Advent this year. She sang in verses 52 and 53, God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. And that was from Mary's song. I wonder if as a boy, Jesus grew up hearing her sing that song. You certainly see and hear echoes of it here, don't you? And if you study the way that Luke uses the language of poor, you discover that he's talking about people who, in the words of New Testament scholar Joel Green, have been marginalized in the larger world, whether on the basis of economic or other measures. So to be poor doesn't just mean that you don't have money. It could be that you have a disease or you're part of the outgroup. That you are, but you're on the margin on the basis of economic or other measures, those for whom only God can bring good news. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here, bringing good news to them. He he says, you who are considered out, marginalized, not wanted, not included by the world, in my community, you're in. And and not just tolerated, but you're included. Not just put up with, but you're wanted and pursued. And moreover, in that community, they find restoration and healing and joy. Because Jesus is, is in no way here idealizing poverty. His kingdom that is coming and is already breaking in is a place without lack. Rather, Jesus is saying those who know they have need, who know they don't belong, who know they are desperate, who know they need rescue and help, those are the ones who will be most open and willing to join his new 
community. Okay, now, I know that sounds awesome. Sounds like something we probably all want. Sounds good. But imagine maybe, especially if you're a little more skeptical sitting out there this morning, you gotta, you're wondering and saying, okay, but here's the big question, Bill. Is Christianity, is the church actually like this? Is it actually like this? Well, February, for example, this is Black History Month. And it was created to highlight the contributions and achievements of black Americans that have often been ignored or overlooked or even actively suppressed. And it's not just history broadly, but also even church history as well. And yet, even as we, we celebrate, lament is also necessary, especially as it relates to the church. Why? Because the exclusion of black Christians from white churches is what created the black church in the first place. And pastor and author Brian Loritz in his outstanding book, Insider Outsider, in a chapter called Birth Out of Rejection, he tells the story of how in the 1700s, a black man in Philadelphia walked into a church and started praying but he didn't realize that he was in the whites only section. Pretty soon some people noticed him there and, and they were so angry, so incensed that they confronted him and threw him out of the church. And it was that event that led to the founding of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. And Brian writes, the black church was birthed out of rejection. Just about every historic denomination is the offspring of white folks wanting nothing to do with us. And he says this, the real tragedy is not what happened back in the 1700s, but that the black church continues to endure rejection in the 21st century. He says, sure, I've seen our white siblings visit African-American churches. I've served and genuinely enjoyed all the elements of the experience. But there's a difference between visiting and joining, between being a guest and locking arms in covenant partnership. Now, Christ community, we've had been blessed to use that language, Right? We've had a long relationship with our sister church, Christian Fellowship Baptist. But we are a long, long way for where we could be and where we need to be in this. And yet, despite the segregation of the church in the United States that lamentably continues to this day, Rebecca McLaughlin, again in her fantastic book, Confronting Christianity, points out that worldwide, it's not even close. Christianity is far and away the most ethnically and socioeconomically diverse religion in the world. In fact, Rebecca points out that women of color are more likely to be Christians than any other group in the world. That's true in the United States, and it's also true across the globe. But Christianity is the most socioeconomic and ethnically diverse of any religion in the world. So the problem then lies not in the message of Christianity or in the teachings of Jesus, but ultimately in our failures to obey them and apply them. And let me just say here, I'm, I'm at the top of the list in that. And it's wrong. It's not right. I'm, I'm working on us. And I just want to say to you, I've not always led us well in this area. Increasingly, I'm spending more and more time with my brothers and sisters in Christ of color but I've got a long way to go here. I think the question for us is this, how are we including those who are out? Both on Sunday, yes, but also on Monday. Do people who are, are different, and not just ethnically or culturally, but in age or wealth or neighborhood or school, do they feel from you that they are wanted, pursued, included? Right, who in your workplace or in your class at school or in your neighborhood feels like an outsider? 
are you seeking to include them? To invite them in fully? But Jesus doesn't stop there because he goes on in verses 24 to 26 to reverse this list, right? The in are now out. And not, I didn't say in and out. Um, now all of you are hungry and want a burger. Uh, I'm actually going to San Antonio tomorrow where I will get in and out. Um, no, the, the in are out. Notice as I read this passage that these are the exact opposite pairs of what Jesus has just uh, pronounced blessing on. Now Jesus pronounces woes. And before I read those verses again, we, we need to understand this word woe that Jesus used here. Because in a similar way, but for different reasons as than the word blessed, the word woe needs some clarification. Um, blessed needed clarification because it's overused, but woe needs clarification because it's underused, right? Because um, I don't know, do you often say woe? I don't say woe. I mean, maybe we jokingly say woe is me. Um, but I don't walk around the house saying, woe to you, my children, if you do not clean up your room. Um, it's just not the way that we talk, right? So what does this word mean? Well, again, in, in the Greek word is, is kind of pronounced like oya. It's the, it's the sound you make when you stub your toe or when you step on a Lego in the middle of the night. It's, it's, it's not even as much a word as that kind of, it's a sound. And in biblical literature, it expresses condemnation and sometimes a mixture of sorrow in there as well, which is sometimes what I feel when I step on the Lego. So let me insert that idea when we read these verses. Verse 24. But what sorrow to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. What sorrow to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. What sorrow to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. What sorrow to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. Everything is upside down, especially from the mindset of the, the present material and social success. Uh, the, if that's your mindset of that is, means I have God's approval and acceptance, Jesus is turning everything upside down for you right now. And again, how Luke uses the word rich is really important to understand. And again, New Testament scholar Joel Green is helpful here. He says the rich in Luke are those with significant resources at their disposal, yet who fail to consider the plight of others. Those with significant resources at their disposal, yet who fail to consider the plight of others. The problem is not that they have material resources or social standing. That's not the problem. Again, just as there isn't an idealization of poverty in this passage, there isn't a blanket condemnation of wealth either. The problem for the rich in Luke's gospel is they fail to consider the plight of others. And their resources keep them, blind them to their need for what Jesus offers. Eugene Peterson captures, I think, the sense of these verses perfectly in the message paraphrase. He puts it this way. But it's trouble ahead if you think you have it made. What you have is all you'll ever get. And it's trouble ahead if you're satisfied with yourself. Yourself will not satisfy you for long. And it's trouble ahead if you think life is all fun and games. There is suffering to be met, and you're going to meet it. Uh, the question for us here is how are we receiving those woes? When Jesus speaks those words, how do we as listeners, how do we receive those? Do we receive them? How do we respond? Do we think that they apply to someone else? Like, I really hope so-and-so is here this morning to hear those. 
Or if only my ex-wife or my boss or my mother-in-law could hear those words from Jesus. Right? We all have those people in our mind who we think this would be a really good message for. <laughs> or maybe we, we kind of see ourselves in them and, and we actually, we're, we're defensive or dismissive or defiant or scrambling or, or looking for loopholes of, well, Jesus couldn't certainly have actually meant that. He must have meant something else. If that's our first reaction to hearing that list of woes, then we're showing we're, we're not yet really wanting to be included in the kind of community that Jesus is building. We still want to hang on to some other kind of identity marker. But on the other hand, if you listen to that list of woes, and you feel convicted, and, and you feel despair when you hear a sermon like this, you feel like, oh, I'm so messed up. I'm so busted. I actually, I, I, I'm so ashamed. Then guess what? You are ready to receive what Jesus has to offer. You are exactly the kind of person that Jesus welcomes into this community because you are the kind of person for whom only God can bring good news. And here's the good news. Jesus went out so that you could come in. This is the good news of the gospel. He went out so that you could come in. He became an outsider so that you could become an insider. And he wants you. He longs to include you in his community, in his kingdom. Jesus, like Moses, climbed a mountain to intercede for God's people. Jesus climbed the hill of Calvary to be a sacrifice for our sins. He was killed outside the city, exiled from the community so that we, you and I, could be brought in. Jesus experienced all the woe and wrath of God that only we deserved so that we could experience the blessing and joy and community that only he deserved. You are welcomed into a new family where you belong, where you are wanted, where you are included, always. I just finished reading a book to our girls called Daisy Dawson is on her way. And I love the moment at the end of the book where a dog named Boom, who Daisy has befriended, realizes that he is wanted, that he belongs. She gives the dog a name tag. It's a name tag, said Daisy, kneeling down and fastening the chain around his neck. It's got your name on the front and my name and telephone number on the back. If the dog catcher ever sees you again, he'll think you belong to me and he'll leave you alone. Boom looked up at Daisy. Do I? He asked shyly. Do you what, Boom? Do I belong to you? Daisy put her arms around him. Friends belong to one another, she said. It's the best sort of belonging there is. Friends, in Jesus, you are his and he is yours. And together in him, we are one another's. And it's the best sort of belonging there is. With the Spirit's help and power, may we be this kind of community. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you sent Jesus and that he willingly left that he came out so that we could come in. Would you make us a community of people who do the same? Would we go out so that others can come in and welcome them with the welcome of Jesus?
And it's in his name we pray by the power of the Spirit. Amen.